Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You found your way somehow to This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. We are in a new message series entitled Complete in Christ. This is only episode two, Christ the Life Changer. It's the episode for Sunday, January 28, 2024. You know, elevators are life changers. I heard the story, probably not true, I would assume, of the farmer who went to town with his son and his wife in their old pickup truck. He pulled up in front of a huge skyscraper. He went inside with his son while his wife waited in the truck. In the lobby, the farmer observed a very old lady go into this metal contraption where the doors seemed to open as she went in. A few minutes later, the doors opened again and a lovely young woman walked out of that elevator. The farmer turned to his son and he said, son, go get your mother. (laughs) Now, I would never need to say that to my son because my wife is already like the lady who came out of the elevator. Elevators are a game changer. They are a life changer. Many times I've had the experience of being in a building and being on one floor where maybe there's workmen doing work and drills and hammers or maybe people talking loudly. Press that button, get in the elevator, go to the next floor, and it's perfect serenity. I love elevators, depending on where they're letting me out, right? That's a good thing. Well, that's a very dim illustration of what happens when someone comes in faith, trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Things begin to change. Now, it might not be all instantly, and certainly it is a lifetime of growth, and our greatest changes will only occur when we're away from this earth and we're in heaven, but change there is, and it's for the good. Now, I want to tell you today that as we begin to look at this episode, we're going to really look at Christ, the life changer. He changes things the moment he comes into a life. And maybe you're listening today and you're a personal believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can say with me, yes, Pastor Ed, I'm not perfect, but I am not the person I was years ago when I first came to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And you can see the wonderful transformation that's come about in your life because Jesus is now in your life. Many of you who are listening, though, you're just, you're religious maybe even, maybe even in a Christian religion, but you're scratching your head and you're thinking like, I don't see any changes. I'm the same person today as I was 22 years ago when I became a Christian. And I would ask you to open your heart and mind today to what the Lord would show you about the fact that when he is really in your life, he is the great life changer in our life. All right, we started this series last week, episode one. If you missed it, it's on you to go back and listen to episode one 
so you can learn some very important things about the letter we're looking at, about the city of Colossae, the problems they were having. So you've got to go back and do that. But I will do this. We're going to start in Colossians 1 verse 1 and read the first eight verses that we looked at last week before we begin to deal with Colossians 9 through 14 today. All right, here we go. Colossians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our Dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. All right, so that's what we covered last week. So go back and listen to episode one and catch up with us. And you can do that after you listen to this episode today. You know, in thinking about what we're just about to see in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, I'm reminded that somebody said that ignorance and apathy are two of the biggest problems facing the church today. Now, right about now, some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't know and I don't care. See, that just proves it right there. Ignorance and apathy are two of the biggest problems facing the church today, but we're going to show you a solution to that. Now, I want to draw on something that, uh, kind of paraphrasing something that Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, a great English Baptist preacher in England said about 150 years ago, something like that. He said, in, in essence, and I'm just boiling it down, that ignorance, that is ignorance of the Bible, equals doctrinal error. That is, if you, you don't even know what the Lord Jesus Christ has said and written through his apostles, then you, you can't even know what is right. So you have to be reading your Bible. You can't be ignorant of the Bible. And if you, you don't read so well, I don't read so well anymore. And I listen to my Bible today. And I, for years I read it, but listen to it if you have a hard time reading it. But ignorance... Uh, spiritual ignorance is, is really what it's talking about. Spiritual ignorance equals doctrinal error. Now, I'm adding a little bit to what he says. Spiritual ignorance equals doctrinal error. Doctrinal error equals practical error. Do you understand what I just said? If, if I'm spiritually ignorant of the Word of God, then I'm gonna I'm gonna have doctrinal error in my life where I'm I might not believe the right things and I might believe the wrong things. That's not good. So spiritual ignorance equals doctrinal error. And if I've got doctrinal error in my life rather than the truth, 
that's going to lead me into practical error, meaning I'm going to live uh, my Christian life in a way that's not right. It's filled with error. And man, is that ever going on today. So got to get into the Word, let the Word get into you, and then you're going to learn how to live with the Lord's help the Christian life. And that's exactly what we're going to see here, starting in verse 9 of Colossians 1. So we read here, for this cause, now I would say that's a purpose cause, wouldn't you? Meaning, it's, it's telling us there, uh, uh, pay attention to this, this is why I said this, or this is why to do this. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, what's that? The faith they had in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That they were now Christian. Paul had never been to Colossae. It was not one of his churches that he started, but he had heard about the gospel coming to them through his friend Epaphras, who apparently was uh, their pastor. And he heard about the church that was born at Colossae when the gospel was shared with the lost people there. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. That's the idea of like praying over them, like we should pray over our, our families and our, our friends and over our church. So as soon as they heard about this new church with these new Christians that had been born in Colossae, that even though Paul had never been there, he said, <laughs> since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire. Now, that, now he's praying something for them, and this is what he wants. And desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Have you ever wondered what the will of God is? Well, you can be filled with the knowledge of what his will is. That's what this is saying. That's what Paul wanted to occur in their lives, that you might be filled. That means a, a completeness. Uh, the idea of this is more than enough. This is overflowing. That you might be filled with the knowledge. The epinosis is the Greek word here. And this word, this Greek word epinosis, and you don't have to remember that word, but this word in Greek for knowledge here in English means it means insight. It means a, a special knowledge from God. It's not that you know some things. Yep, I know John 3.16. Okay, great. Do you know John 3.16? I mean, has it impacted your life and gotten a hold of you that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom? This word wisdom is the Greek word Sophia, and it means a divine wisdom. It means really a superior knowledge. You, you and I need, imagine, think of it like this. Imagine a nuclear submarine, you know, powering around the ocean, and it has no instrumentation, and above all, it has no way to get near the surface, and the captains say, up periscope. You know, so you can put the periscope up and look around. Imagine not being able to really get a view of, of what you need to see. God wants you to have that knowledge and that, 
that wisdom, that you can begin to understand where you are. So he says, uh, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled. That is not just a little bit overflowing. Be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This word, uh, spiritual understanding, specifically the word understanding, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It means a sending together in Greek. Think of it like we say, I'm putting it all together. That is, you're beginning to understand something and it makes sense. Sometimes we use the phrase, connecting all the dots. Does that make sense to you? So Paul wants us to be able, when the Lord Jesus Christ really wants all of us to be able to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Have you ever felt in your Christian life like you were kind of going through the paces, going through the steps, but just it just none of it made sense to you. You just couldn't put it together. Maybe when you heard your pastor preach a great sermon or you did a, a Bible study like this one, it, sound, it made sense why you heard it. And it was a, a, encouraging and uplifting and exciting. But when you went out into daily life, it's like, man, I just can't put this together. I can't connect the dots. You know, to me, there's nothing more sad than somebody who's looking at reality and they and you just know they can't connect the dots. Hey, listen, people, drill instructor mode right here. You have got to get your act together in the word of God with the Lord Jesus so that you begin to understand your Christian life and you're not dependent on other people to hold you by the hand like you're a little child and lead you through your Christian life and you're constantly stumbling and it's just a train wreck, like that train whistle horn you heard in the background there just a minute. I tried to talk loud over it, but to no avail. <laughs> I'm sure you heard it. Anyway, we gotta get past that. We've got to grow up. Now, if you're a brand new Christian, we get it, we understand it, normal. But if you've been a Christian a while, now you might not you might not say, I'm pretty much a Billy Graham. I'm, we're not saying that. You don't have to be, you don't have to measure up to anybody else. But what you do have to do is to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God, what it means, how it applies to you, what to do with it, and not be constantly getting all tangled up in it and go into somebody and say, help me, I don't understand anything. Come on. You, you have to put forth a spiritual effort in the Lord's power to put it all together and connect the dots so that you, you know, you, you, it's not that you're going to be a know-it-all or perfect. It's that you, you can honestly say later, let's say you say, okay, I get it, Pastor Ed, with the Lord's help, I'm going to do that. Great. Hopefully a month from now, you can say then, hey, I may not be where I'm going, but I'm not where I was. I'm growing in the Lord. Amen. All right. A friend of mine, uh, I probably better to say an acquaintance, but he preached a couple of times in my churches 
and I went up to uh, equip conferences at his church with Brother Spiro Zodiades and Bill Stafford and just a lot of fine preachers and Bible teachers there. Wayne Barber, who's gone to be with the Lord, but uh, he was pastor for many, many years, twice actually, at Woodland Hills Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. A great man of God. And you should see us together. Wayne was about six foot seven and I'm five feet four. What a photograph. <laughs> I have one of those somewhere. When he came to our church, we had a, a motorized pulpit because I'm the height I am, and most preachers that would preach there who would visit were a little taller. So you could flip a button and the, the pulpit would rise. Well, we had to max it out for Wayne Barber. What a, what a great man of God, and very tall. But at his church and in his life, they had a saying, the word before the work. You know, many times we rush out in the Christian life saying, like, like what I was just saying to you there a minute ago, saying, okay, I'm going to do it. We rush out and we don't do the right thing. We get all messed up and it's a train, work all, train wreck also. You know why? Because we've got to put the word before the work. I've got to, if I'm going to go to battle, I've got to know the battle plan. If I'm going to win a ball game, I've got to know the game plan, Right. That doesn't mean that I stay in the locker room until I memorize the game plan or I stay back, you know, at the army post before I go out on our mission. I mean, there's a point where he said, okay, I basically get it. I don't know it perfectly, but I get it. And we're going to battle. We're going to win this game. Does that make sense to you? So we're not saying you sit around waiting for total perfection. That's a, boy, you're going to wait through eternity on that. Until you're in it, when you're in it, the Lord will will do this for you, but it's not going to happen here. Now, I want to play off of what Wayne Barber in Woodland Park, uh, I said it was Woodland Hills, it's Woodland Park Baptist Church, not Woodland Hills, Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga. I want to play off of their saying. I would say, uh, although it is true that we have to put the word before the word, the word enlightens the walk. That is, once I, once I get into the Word of God, it's sort of like being on a dark path in the middle of the night and there's no moon and there's no artificial light anywhere. It is dark! <laughs> if I have a flashlight, my flashlight enlightens the path, right? Well, the Word of God, the Bible, as I read it every day, maybe I memorize some of it, I think about it, the Word of God enlightens the walk. Now I can see where I'm walking. I don't walk there. The Bible tells me that's something to be careful about. And the Bible does say to go over here and do this. So I'm going to go here and do that. So the word enlightens the walk and the spirit empowers the walk. You know, it's one thing to see where we're to walk and what we're to do. It's another thing to have the the power that's not even ours, a supernatural power that empowers the walk. Uh, to put it a different way, we see how to live, but then with the Holy Spirit's power, we have the power to live that way. Verse 10. Now let's read 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, 
do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's that word in Greek, epinosis, again. We increase in that in other words, you can get insight and special knowledge from God, but you, we also can grow in it. So we're told here that part of the reason, a big reason, <laughs> uh, it's actually, is like a purpose cause that you might. Why am I supposed to do this? So that we can walk worthy of the Lord. That is, the Lord has called us to salvation. He's redeemed us. Our walk ought to be, put it this way, it ought to be equal to the calling of the Lord. It bothers me when I see people, and again, I'm not talking about a brand new Christian or young Christian necessarily, but it, it bothers me when I see people who've been a Christian a while that their life, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm just saying like I just observed things and I'm going like, wow. That's not working worthy of the Lord that called them unto all pleasing and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I mean, they're way off the path. They're living like, they're living way below what's equal to the calling of the Lord on their life. And that bothers me. We should not do that. We, the one of the reasons, the big reason that we're to, uh, be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that we saw in verse nine. Here's why, that ye might be, that ye might walk, that means live, how we walk around in this life, that ye might walk, you can think of the word live, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good word, uh, work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's that's why, you know, it's, it's not good. It's not enough, let's put it that way, to say, well, I'm finally filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Yep, I'm something, I sure do understand stuff. All right, what are you gonna do with it? <laughs> you know you know these things, now, now in his power, do these things. You see what I'm saying? Now, let me tell you about some of the problems the people, the Christians in Colossae were facing. And I'm just going to quote two or three uh, great Bible commentators that I, that I like, or at least one of them I know a lot about and like, uh, and another couple. H.A. Ironside, Harry A. Ironside, who was for many years pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago and a great Bible exegete and expositor, a, a great student of the Bible. He's going to explain here better than I ever could problems the Colossians were facing, and then what we just read is going to make more sense to you. So this is what H.A. Ironside wrote. Paul told his readers that he prayed that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Those who were troubling the Colossian saints boasted of their superior knowledge. 
These Gnostics, that's just the name of the, the group and the philosophy that was really giving it to the Christians at Colossae. These Gnostics had evolved. Now listen, I want you to listen very carefully. If you're listening to the radio and watching TV at the same time, stop. Listen carefully. These Gnostics had evolved a complex system of mystical and wholly imaginative, that is a dreamed it up, imaginative teaching regarding the soul's approach to God through an interminable number of intermediaries. That is, you couldn't go directly to God. You had to go through 500 angels or demons, really, is what they were. They coupled this teaching with ascetic regulations. That means like, if you think of a hermit who never bathes, never eats, and stays inside a cave all the time, that's an ascetic. They coupled this teaching with ascetic regulations and legal observances. In their eyes, the gospel, as preached by Paul, was simplicity indeed. That is, a, like Paul in the gospel, that Paul was a simpleton. And everybody who believed the gospel was a, just a goofy simpleton. And that's, of course, wrong, but that's how they put them down. They looked on it as a child's conception of the philosophy of the universe. They viewed the gospel as puerile for men of mature minds. That is, the Gnostics, these false teachers, these fake Christians wanted people to think that they were total geniuses and they put everyone else down. And this is not true. Ironside goes on and says, but he who knew this gospel and all its grandeur, as few other men have ever known it, spoke here of being filled with the knowledge of God's will and he used a superlative instead of a word that the Gnostics were very fond of. They boasted of gnosis. Say, so that sounds familiar. Yeah, it does. Because it's part of that word that you heard me say, epinosis. They boasted of gnosis, which means knowledge. They were in the know. You understand what I mean? Like they knew you're an idiot, but they knew. They they understood. They they uh, that you know they knew the score. They knew how the game was played. <laughs> they boasted of gnosis, which means knowledge. But Paul said epinosis, which literally means super knowledge. It is in the divine revelation alone that this is found. You can only get this epinosis, by the way, this divine super knowledge above human knowledge. You can only get it from God. Now, Kenneth Wiest, who is a great Greek exegete who taught at Moody Bible Institute, he added some notes here. So let's read these. Weist adds that epinosis, listen carefully, is a knowledge which grasps and penetrates into an object. That's how we're to know the Lord and his word, okay? 
It's a knowledge which grasps and penetrates into an object. It was a favorite word of the Gnostics who used it to designate the superior knowledge, which they claimed uh, was only their exclusive possession. Paul prays that all the saints might become possessors of this knowledge, indicating that it was open for all to appropriate, not a Listen, not a secret mystery into which only a favored few could be initiated. If the Gnostics had their superior knowledge, so did the Christian church. So apparently the Gnostics used both the word gnosis and epinosis. Here's a problem. Their gnosis was just human knowledge and their epinosis was, it was fake. It was not from God. Paul wants us to have what we can have, and that is genuine epinosis, genuine superior divine knowledge from God. We're not faking it. Now, the former, like the the, the Gnostics and what they regarded knowledge, the former was speculative and false. The latter, that is that divine knowledge from God, is positive and true. Paul prays that they not only might have it, but that they might be filled with it. Now, let me ask you, Christian friend, is is being filled with the knowledge of God and the spiritual understanding, does that characterize and describe your life? And I hope many of you are honestly saying, well, Pastor Ed, I'm not perfect, but I think to a good degree it does. Amen. God bless you. I'm, I'm not even doubting you. Others of you who are Christians are saying, I do not even know what you're talking about. I go to church every week. You know, I do what the preacher tells me, or I try. I usually fail. But, you know, I mean, I'm trying the best I can. What do you want here? All right, listen, I'm here to tell you on good authority, God's authority, that there is a full divine knowledge of God and his word that will transform your life. And Christ came into your life if he's actually there. He came into your life to be a life changer. You know, not just here, like your best life now. He doesn't want you to have that. He wants you to have his life. He wants you to grow here and then ultimately the ultimate life changes we'll experience when we leave this life. Amen? He does not want you to be the common stereotypical version of a good church member. Boring. In you, if that describes you, and I'm not putting you down, I'm just trying to help you understand if, if that's what's going on. I'm telling you, <laughs> there is a knowledge of the Lord, his word, which will which the Lord will use in the power of his spirit to change your life starting now. And, and he will use you in this life for his glory. And you will be rewarded for that. But if you continue down the road of, I don't understand all this. I don't want to understand all of this. Uh, I prayed the prayer. I was told I'm saved. I just go to church every week. And I'm hoping for the best. Listen. There's more, there's more, there's more. And I urge you to get into the word and ask the Lord to show you from his word. There is more.
Now, Paul, in essence, he's praying for these saints, listen, to have a Christian mind in the midst of a secular world, and that secular world has a mindset that's radically and definitively opposed to God and what his will is in the word of God. One Christian writer, Harry Blamiers, put it this way in his book called The Christian Mind, explaining that, I'm quoting Blamiers here, the Christian mind, he's talking about today in modern times, especially in America, the so-called Christian mind has succumbed to the secular drift of the world with a degree of weakness and nervelessness that's unmatched in Christian history. Man, that is scorching right there. As a thinking being, the modern Christian has succumbed to secularization, that he's worldly in his thinking. He, he looks at everything like the world looks at it. That's wrong. In fact, that person might not even be a Christian, but maybe they are and they need to do what we're hearing about today. Now, this person who's been secularized in his thinking, according to Blamir, says he accepts religion, its morality, its worship, its spiritual culture, but he rejects the religious view of life, the view which sets all earthly issues within the context of the eternal the view which sees all things here below in terms of God's supremacy and earth's transitoriness, that is, the earth is passing away, in terms of heaven and hell. The Christian mind, when it's like it should be, is trained, informed, equipped to handle data well, let me let me rephrase that. The Christian mind, because it's messed up now, is trained, informed, and equipped to handle data of secular controversy within a framework of reference. Man, I'm getting myself all turned around. <laughs> let me let me restate this, but it's important. When the Christian mind is made word by the Lord, made right by the Lord's word, by the Lord and the power of His Spirit. Then, and this, this is the right way, the Christian mind is trained and formed and equipped to handle data of secular controversy within a framework of reference which is constructed of Christian presuppositions. That is a Christian worldview, a real one. The Christian mind is the prerequisite of Christian action. That is, once you... The Word of God develops this Christian way of looking at life in your heart and mind, then you can take Christian action in your personal life and in your community. But if that's never there, you will never live a successful Christian life or impact your community. And if you want to read more about that, that's from the Christian mind, How Should a Christian Think?, and it's published by Vine Books, and it was published in 1997. Here's another commentator. It's the last one, I promise. <clears throat> Edie, the commentator, said, the Colossians had gnosis, but the apostle wished them to be filled with additional and supplemental knowledge. 
Now listen carefully. Not new knowledge or a different form or section of Christian knowledge, but a fuller development of the partial theological information which they already possess. Now, I'm going to say a little verse that you will know, and it's a very good illustration. uh, Jesus, let's see. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's true. But if you've been a Christian 37 years and that's all you got, you have not grown on the basis of that, from that, something's really wrong. It would be like a 50-year-old baby in a crib on a bottle. That ain't right. And that's, and that's not what we have to settle for. That's what I want you to know. Now, let's go back and read 9 and 10, and then we'll go to 11, 12, and 13, and 14 pretty quickly, and we will finish. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Now here's, here's where we can go. Here's how we can progress. We are, we, res, we are strengthened by the Lord with dynamo, and that's the, that's the energy to get it done. Strengthened with all might so that we then have that his energy in us to get it done, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now that word power is not the same word as for strength earlier in verse 11. It's the Greek word kratos, and it means a power and might and strength. So it kind of means the same thing, but it's a different word. Unto all patience. Now what is that? This is a Greek word that means to bear up under the load. The more you grow in the Lord and his word and the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, the more this happens, the more you're going to be able to just not just grin and bear it in life and complain your whole way through, the more you're going to be able to handle harder things for the glory of God and not not cut and run under all patience and long suffering, macrothumia. I mean, you can just like, you got, woo, this is tough, but with the Lord, I can make it through. Amen? With joyfulness. <laughs> that is wonderful. With joyfulness. That's so important. So important. So, um, now, verse 12 giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That is, we, we begin to realize what the Lord has done for us and we, and we give thanks to him. Paul's giving thanks and we can do that to the Father which hath made us meet. That word there means, are you ready for this? Qualified us. <laughs> now on my own and on your own, we are utterly unqualified. 
The Lord has qualified us. He's done it for us. Amen. He's qualified us. He's made us more than sufficient, more than competent in Christ to be the partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, we can guess about what that inheritance it is, is, and we may be able to guess some things, but we don't really fully know. I promise you this, though, it's going to be good, and you have a share in that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to be sharers in the inheritance of the saints. Now, the saints are not like particularly holy people who are martyrs. It's all believers. That's, that's what a saint is in light. Now, verse 13, this is so cool. <laughs> who hath delivered us? He's rescued us from the power of darkness. Now, let's get the picture. That word rescued, Jesus rescued us. Um, God rescued us. Who hath delivered us, that means he has dragged us out of danger. That's what that word means who had delivered us from the power of darkness. Where you see that word power, you could think of the word tyranny, just an abusive, tyrannical power reigning over us. You see, before I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, guess where I live, what I lived under? I lived under the tyranny of darkness. I can remember before I became a Christian, I just didn't really understand anything, even though I went to church and I, I was, allegedly was a Christian, but I, I don't think I was until I met the Lord. But I lived in darkness and I didn't understand life. And I was under the tyranny of the power of darkness. <coughs> What's that? That's the realm of Satan being lost, who had delivered us. He's dragged us out of danger. It's like he grabbed us and pulled us out of danger, who had delivered us from the power of darkness. Now watch this. It's not enough just to be delivered from the power of darkness. Something else has happened and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The word translated means trans transferred us. I like the old original Star Trek TV series, and I like when they... Captain Kirk would be in trouble and he'd take out his communicator, which we know today is a flip phone. <laughs> he would take it out and he'd say, Kirk to Enterprise, beam us up, Scotty. <laughs> and Scotty would beam him up out of instant death and danger and they would be beamed up to where? To the, to the Enterprise or to somewhere else. Well, sort of like that. That's a, a vague, uh, similar thing. Christ has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. But here's what it's really like. When a conquering country and king would conquer, let's say the Assyrians conquered the Egyptians, they would transfer the population of Egypt to somewhere else in the world and put Assyrians or other people in Egypt to live there. But, but the Egyptians, like just using this illustration, they were transferred somewhere else to live in a different kingdom. That's the picture here in Greek. Guess what kingdom it is? The kingdom of his dear son. We now belong to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
I was in the tyranny of darkness. And when I met Jesus, I've been transferred. I didn't do it. He did it for me. Transferred into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. And you know what? If you're a Christian, that's happened to you too. And if you're not a Christian, but you become one, that can happen for you as well. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> that word redemption there means the price has been paid. I owed a sin debt that I could not pay because I was a sinner. When I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he came into me and born me again. His life now lives in me. I receive forgiveness of sins. They're no longer held against me. You know why? He paid for my sins on the cross and he rose again from the dead on the third day, proving that his sacrifice, his payment was acceptable and we are forgiven. Amen. Thank you for listening this far. And I want to give you a phone number. Some of you are not Christians and you're starting to realize it. You need to speak with someone about your faith in Christ or lack of it. I'm going to give you a number you can call. It's not me, but it's got Christians who can talk with you. 888-388-2683. One more time. 888-388-2683. Now, if I don't die first, the rapture doesn't happen first, or something else that I can't think of doesn't happen, I'll be back next week with episode three of Complete in Christ on This Week in the Word. Hey, before we go, would you like the episode? If you've never done it, follow the podcast. And right now, share this episode with someone else. It's right there where you're listening. If you look, you'll see how to do it. Thank you for listening. Be back next week, the Lord willing. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>